Well, good morning. How could people so focused on grace and forgiveness ever call anyone out for anything? I thought Christians are supposed to love people, not judge people. I hear similar thoughts very often as a pastor. There's a common idea in our society right now that holding people to a standard of any kind is unloving, arrogant, and judgmental. Here's what is terribly wrong and flawed about that thinking. It would be unloving to let your child beat up mercilessly on your other child without stepping in. That is not love. That's bad parenting. The most loving thing you could do is correct them and discipline them. And it's for the good of the child and for the good of the sibling, obviously, that's getting beat up. Or think of it like this. It would be unloving to watch a friend slowly fall into drug addiction. Okay, you, you know it. You see it, not like you're thinking this is happening. Like, no, you, you know it's happening. And it would be unloving for you to watch that happen and not step in and say anything. A real friend would warn them and offer to help them. So, when a brother and sister or sister in Christ that you are in relationship with, I'm not talking about someone who's sitting across the aisle from you right now that you've never spoken to, or barely speak to. I'm talking about someone you have a real relationship, a substantive relationship with, and you're both following Christ when they are living in clear, unrepentant sin. Sin where you're going, yep, I'm sinning, but I don't care. It's not that you sin. We all sin. It's that you're sinning and going, yep, don't care. You're going to keep living in it. When, when you have a brother or sister you're in a real relationship with is living in clear, unrepentant sin, it is unloving to turn a blind eye and say, Jesus' blood covers that, no big deal. It's true. His grace does cover that. His blood does cover that. But he didn't give us his grace in order for us to trample on it. You're ignoring the very sin that Jesus had to die for. Now, an important caveat that you find throughout Scripture, but you find it explicitly in 1 Corinthians 5, is this principle. Okay, we're not talking about holding non-Christians to Christian standards. Okay, let me be very clear about that. Why would you expect someone who doesn't adhere to the Bible, who doesn't follow Jesus, to follow Jesus and obey the Bible? That's, that's ludicrous. That, 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 that's not what we're talking about. Why would we expect that? But as followers of Christ, we have clear standards of right and wrong found in the truth of God's word. But that creates a problem from the get-go for holding anyone to anything today in our culture because regardless of how you go about it, people often, usually perceive it as judgmental. So that puts us in a tough spot. What's more tricky is that Paul, in the scripture we have for today and other places in scripture, calls Christians to hold other Christians to the standard of his word. And he urges them to repent. And he tells us to urge them to repent. And if they continually are unrepentant, 
to pull away. Now let me start with some background. The passage that we are looking at today is 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 to the end. So you can open up to that in your app or your Bible if you have it. 2 Thessalonians 3, starting in verse 6. But let me give you background, because background is everything to this passage. If, you just, if we just dove right into this, we would be missing a lot. So Paul taught them to work hard, the Thessalonians, and taught them not to be idle. When he went to Thessalonica, he went to the city and he planted the church. This is how he discipled them. This is what he taught them. Work hard. Don't be idle. First Thessalonians 4, 11 to 12, his first letter to them, he says, seek to leave a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands as we commanded you so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. So it said in there, as we commanded you. So he already told them that. And then he reminds it of them in his first letter in the passage I just read. And then he tells them to even warn people who are idle in, in 5.14 of 1 Thessalonians. But this is super critical to understand because Paul's instruction in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through the end, which is what we'll be looking at today, is at least the third time Probably the fourth time if the other believers in the Thessalonian church warned these people who are being idle. But at least it's the third time they are being commanded to stop being idle or disorderly. What they were doing is they were mooching off other people and not working hard. It's easy to read our scripture today without any background that I just gave you and go, whoa, Paul, what are you doing? This is extreme, but we should actually see it and go, wow, Paul, you're actually really gracious. Because this is at least the third, probably fourth, maybe fifth time they're being warned. So that leads us to our passage. And I want to pray for us before I read this. And I'm seeing there's actually a fair amount of new people but I'm actually excited for that because we have a passage before us today that's really going to help us in relationship with one another. And God knows, quite literally, God knows that we as a culture need help when it comes to having real conversations with one another in a loving, helpful way. So let me pray for you. Father, I pray as we look at your word, that you would do what you need to do in our hearts this morning. And that's going to be different for each of us. I know some people are walking in here today and they've experienced being warned in a really brutal, harsh, unloving, terrible way within the church. And I know there are other people who are walking in who have been the ones who have been really brutal and harsh. And I know there are others who are walking in who avoid this like the plague. They avoid any type of confrontation like the plague and never go about it. And it's caused a lot of strain in relationships as well. So I just pray that you would bring freedom and healing and hope to all of us, regardless of what's happened to us in the past. And that we would take you at your word here today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother or sister who is idle 
and does not live according to the tradition received from us. For you yourselves know how you should imitate us. We were not idle among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and toiled, working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. It is not that we don't have the right to support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but busy bodies. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take note of that person. Don't associate with him so that he may be ashamed. Yet don't consider him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand, which is an authenticating mark in every letter. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So I'm going to start with the flow of thought in this situation that Paul is addressing to the Thessalonians. So I will get to us and what this means for us. But it's really important that we start with what is Paul saying to this group of people? So here's, here's an overview. Verse 6, the initial command here, he, he points out, this, is, this command is coming in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's packing a punch here, right? This is not just from me, Paul is saying. This is from God. And he says, keep away from brothers and sisters who are unrepentantly continuing to be idle. And then he spells out more clearly what that even means to keep away later in the passage. And we're going to find out it doesn't mean shove them out of your life necessarily. Verses 7 through 9, Paul reminds them of his example and he, sets, he reminds them that he set a pace of not being idle when he lived among them. Then verse 10, he reminds the Thessalonians of his initial command to them on being idle. Remember, I told you not to do that. And then verses 11 to 12, Paul gives the same command to those who are still being idle and unrepentant. And then verse 13, Paul encourages those who are not being idle, those who are working hard, to keep up the good work. Don't grow weary in doing good. And then verses 14 and 15, Paul spells out more clearly how the church should treat these who are, those who are unrepentant by being idle. And he says, take note of that person. Don't associate with him. Don't consider him as an enemy. Warn him as a brother. Now, what is Paul saying to them? Almost seems like contradictory messages here. But for the Thessalonians in this particular situation, he says, keep record of those living in unrepentant idleness. So certainly, he wants them to keep track of these people so that he can, they can win them over. So that they can try to convince them to stop being idle. And he's saying, if, if you haven't yet, as a community, as a church community, and as individuals, warn them but do it with gentleness and respect. And he's saying, if you, 
If they disregard your warnings, you go to them, you do it with gentleness and respect, and they keep being slackers, pull away from them socially. Now you have to understand that Thessalonians were in a culture and a society that was super tight-knit. Even outside the church, people were in each other's homes, but we are in a very individualistic society. COVID really made it that way for us, okay? But they are in a society where they're sharing everything. I mean, this is, this is communal living. And so it would be quite, quite the consequence to have, you, have a bunch of people who you are really close with start to pull away from you. And we can understand that a little bit, but it would have been even more drastic for them. And the whole goal of that was so that they would start to feel the effect of their sin and hopefully repent. So for us today, in the church, we must take the principles used in this scripture and then use other scripture and godly wisdom in each situation that comes about. Context is super important. Not everything written in this passage should be a one-to-one application to every situation in our life. So instead of spending time talking about being idle or being disorderly, you can, you can go back and listen to my message on 1 Thessalonians 4. We already talked about that a bit. I want to spend the rest of our time explaining the clear principles that Paul is giving us today on how to warn unrepentant brothers and sisters in Christ well. And I think this is going to be incredibly helpful for you individually and for us as a church because by and large, Our culture is failing at doing this well, and perhaps we can be the exception. So let me give you some other passages that are helpful on the subject. So just to rattle them off, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 13, Matthew 18, 15 to 17, and Galatians 6, 1 to 2. So let's just shorthand, 1 Corinthians 5, Matthew 18, Galatians 6. I'm not going to address those today, and here's why. This is not meant to be a comprehensive teaching on warning unrepentant believers. The whole point of what I'm doing today and of what we try to do every week is to explain or exposit the text before us. We're walking through 2 Thessalonians. So maybe another day we'll do that. Today, I'm just going to focus in on the passage at hand. So one of our elders, Tim Ellis, many of you know Tim, you're not here today, right, Tim? I didn't see him. Right. Okay, good. I mean, not good. I mean, that's, I didn't mean good. It would be great if he was here. Because um, I'm going to share some, some great wisdom from Tim. So, um, but he gives us some great perspective. He's one of our elders. We're an elder-led church, so I, I lead alongside four other guys here. Um, but he, he gave me and, and is giving us this morning some great perspective as we walk through this. And his perspective is this. We need to put ourselves in both people's shoes as we hear this message. So you need to both put yourself in the shoes of the unrepentant person being warned and the person warning the unrepentant person. So put yourself in the shoes of the one being warned and put yourself in the shoes of the one doing the warning. And my guess is that both of those shoes feel uncomfortable to you. But which one feels more uncomfortable to you? 
And as we walk through this, I want you to put yourself more in the shoes of the one that feels uncomfortable so that we can grow and learn and become more Christ-like in the way that we warn others and receive warning. So how do we warn unrepentant brothers and sisters well? Number one, view them correctly. View them correctly. We see this in verse 15. Yet don't consider him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. The way you view them correctly is by realizing and convincing yourself in your mind they are not your enemies. Now you probably would never call them an enemy out loud. But in your heart and your mind and the way that you even talk about them sometimes, people are our enemies, or at least in our minds, in our viewpoint, start to become enemies. And Ephesians 6, Paul says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, especially brothers and sisters in Christ, in our, our church family. They are never our enemies, and we must stop thinking of them as such, viewing them as enemies will set you up for failure in any conversation. Our culture celebrates and encourages treating other people like your enemy. It does. If you disagree about anything at all, you're canceled and you're the worst. That's what they tell us to do. If someone disagrees with you on anything, just cancel them, just get them out of your life, cut them out. That's, that's what we're being fed. That's not the heart of Christ. And that's not what we're called to as his followers. People are to be loved. Even when there's hard conversations to be had, people are not to be viewed as enemies, especially brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not trying to win an argument. As soon as you get into this like winning, losing mentality, it's over before it started. You're trying to win the person over, not win an argument. They are not your enemy. But instead of viewing them as your enemy, we need to view them as brothers and sisters in Christ, it says. Warn him as a brother. How do we do that? Here's an idea. Start praying for their welfare regularly, daily. Yes, pray that God would convict them of their unrepentant sin, but also pray, maybe just as much or more, pray that God would bless them. And I don't mean going, God, bless them. You know, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm really play, praying for their welfare. And our view of people changes pretty quickly when we discipline ourselves to start praying for their welfare. This is so, so so important. I cannot overstate viewing them correctly. You cannot skip this step because you can't warn someone effectively, even with all the right words and all the right actions and all the right tone, if your view of them and heart towards them is not right. It won't work. People are really good at sniffing out when you are being fake. View them correctly. Secondly, we actually need to go and warn them. Verse 15 says, you don't, 
yet don't consider them as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So you actually have to go and do it. You have to warn them. You have to warn people sometimes or be warned by others sometimes. Now, one more example that's a little more lighthearted on why you must do this sometimes, just so we can kind of come up for air, because I realize this is pretty heavy. Um, let's imagine you're out in the lobby today, and your friend walks out of the bathroom, and their fly is all the way down. Okay, not to get too crap, but it's just like obvious. They walk out, and they're smiling, like, hey, and you're like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Um, it would be pretty unloving if you just let them parade around and have people over here go, do you see it? Fly that. You know, that would, that would be a terrible move of you to do, okay? At least, at least to just let it go on and on and on. And so the point is that warning brothers and sisters in Christ is not just God's way found in Scripture. It's part of the human experience. So with that example... Let's look at this a little more closely. How do we warn them? Thankfully, Paul doesn't just say, hey, go warn them. Good luck figuring out how to do that effectively. He gives us some advice. He gives us a pattern by doing it himself. And he's, in verses 7 through 9, we see that he warns by assuring them with his example. So verse 7 again, for you yourselves know how you should imitate us. We were not idle among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and toiled, working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. It is not that we don't have the right to support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you, so that you would imitate us. It's like Paul is saying here, I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not living out myself. Paul even took it a step further, though, than not being idle. He, in his example, when he was there with them, he had two full-time jobs. He was planting a church, and he took a night job. And most people think he was making tents. That was his job. But he was working literally around the clock to be an example to them of not being idle. So Paul has all the grounds in the world to go, hey, this can be done. I did it in front of you. You saw this. You don't have to be idle anymore. You can do this. And as we know, more is caught than taught in any relationship. And Paul gets that really well. So he reminds them of his example. So when you're warning someone, humbly assure them that yes, it's difficult, but I'm living this out too. And humbly share your example with them. And when someone's warning you, Look to see if they're living it out as well. And if they're not, it's probably a good indication that what they're saying to you probably shouldn't be taken too seriously. How else do we go about warning? We warn by showing them scripture. Verse 10, in fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. So as an apostle, Paul spoke for God to the Thessalonians. So his commands and his command here that he's reminding them of is God's word. So when 
when we go about warning someone, we need to show them plainly in scripture. And get this, if it's not found plainly in scripture, you probably need to back off. There are a lot of things that you just have a pet peeve about or that you have like convictions on, which are great, great to have convictions that aren't found in scripture explicitly. Those are not the things we go and warn one another about. Those might be fun to have a good conversation about, a healthy conversation. I think we need more healthy conversations about things that are a little more gray without getting to the point of beating each other up, right? I think that's good and healthy, but this isn't what it's talking about here. We, if you're going to warn someone for unrepentant sin, you better be able to have chapter and verse. In fact, you probably should have several that could back it up to guarantee that it's crystal clear that this is from God. Now, when someone's warning you, listen for scripture. Now, sometimes it doesn't come in the form of chapter and verse, but you hear something and you go, oh yeah, I actually know that could be backed up with this verse and that and that. And you're like, okay, that's scriptural. But listen, is it scriptural? And if it doesn't seem scriptural, kindly ask for some. Another thing we see from Paul on how we can go about warning people is we can warn them by clearly laying out God's warning to them. And this maybe goes without saying, but I think it needs to be said. Verses 11 and 12, he makes it very clear. He says, for we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but busybodies. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. So make sure, after sharing scripture, to make sure they understand with clarity what you're saying to them, what the unrepentant sin is they're living in. Don't, you don't need to be mean about it, right? We shouldn't be mean about it, but you do need to be direct. There is a difference. Communication, though, is difficult, right? Even when we're not warning people, communication is really hard. I mean, we have this all the time. You have this in relationships all the time. Um, it, was, it was kind of funny. Last Sunday, um, Josh texted me, our worship leader, he texted me, hey, um, we're going we're gonna to uh, have our, our meeting after, our worship, after worship practice to pray and go through the order of service a little early today. And I text back, no problem. I'm, I'm just in my office. So text me when you're ready to meet. What I meant was, let me know when you're about to meet, and I'll head over and join you. But that's not what I said. Josh, Josh thought I was asking him to just come to my office, and we would get on the same page after he met with the worship team. Now, all of that was not a big deal at all. Okay, Josh and I, are like, he probably hasn't even thought much of it. I certainly haven't. We moved on with our lives. Not a big deal, right? My point is, though, Communication is very, very difficult, even in small situations. So how much more in situations where you're warning someone? It is super unloving to not be crystal clear about what you're warning someone about. If you're the one being warned, maybe you repeat the warning to them. So what I hear you saying is this, just to ensure that you understand, but we have to be clear 
about what we're saying and direct. Next, we need to warn by continuing to set a good example. Verse 13, but as for you, he says, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. So if you're, if you're warning someone, don't let their response get you down. If you are confident that it was from Scripture, you have a good relationship with them, you did it with the right heart and posture, don't let their response or lack thereof throw you off track. Easier said than done. But the enemy of our souls loves to tempt us when we're down. So we need to keep up our guard. We need to keep setting a great example, especially for the people that we're warning. Even if they turn on you and make you the bad guy, keep setting a great example and do good, especially toward them. Warn by continuing to set a great example. And the third principle we see for doing this is this. If and only if they don't repent, pull back until they do. We see this in verse 6 and in verse 14. Now, I forget where I learned this shorthand here, IFF. I want to say it was from like algebra class or something. But if and only if they don't repent, pull back until they do. Hopefully they repent. See, that is the goal in warning anyone, that they would repent, they would turn from their sin. But pulling back will look different in each situation. I talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the message. But sometimes it means pulling back from spending as much time with them. Hanging out with them as much. But even in doing that, your goal is that they would repent. Sometimes it means pulling away completely relationally. Sometimes for churches, it means asking people to step down from serving for a season and hopefully they repent and can be restored. That's always the goal. Or at worst, it's asking them to leave the church family until they do repent. But we don't, and a church should not ever ask someone to leave with the goal not being that they would repent and turn and be restored to that church family. And I pray to God that that does not have to happen here. So there's the principles. I want to give you some cautions. And everything I previously said and addressed, take that to the bank. What I'm about to share with you for the next couple minutes, take what you want throughout the rest. Okay? But some cautions from my limited 35 years of life experience, some helpful nuggets of wisdom that I've learned mainly through making mistakes. Don't be trigger happy when you're warning people. Don't be known for being the guy or gal who's always calling people out. Nobody likes that person. Do <laughs> Don't be that guy. Don't be trigger happy. But on the other hand, don't be silent when there's clear, unbiblical, unrepentant sin going on. Here's what's true. I've seen this multiple times over, almost without exception. When someone finally says something, several other people suddenly are like, oh yeah, I've noticed that for quite a while too. See, there's an epidemic 
I think just as much as people being too harsh as people just being like, I don't want to create any problems, so I'm never going to say anything. I'm like, and that's not what we're called to in Scripture. So don't be silent when there's clear, unbiblical, unrepentant sin going on. Next, I would just say relationship, 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 relationship. So who's best suited to warn someone? The person with the best relationship with them. So if it's like a group thing going on or whatever, it's like, well, who should go to them? It should be the person always with the best relationship with them. And before you start warning someone, you should take a positive relational step towards them. See, perhaps what they need most is a friend, not someone getting on their case. Perhaps what they need most is a listening ear. And your kindness could lead them to repentance. Next, I would say, don't be your own judge and jury. Don't be your own judge and jury. My mentor, Steve Jones, has said this to me on multiple occasions. Let God and God through others that he has placed in your life be your own judge and jury. But don't get so defensive and be your own. When others come to you to warn you, listen. Listen. Sure, they might be wrong on some accounts, but there's probably some bit of truth in there. So listen. And last, I would say, only warn someone with one thing at a time if you can help it. One thing at a time. No one likes to get kicked while they're down. There might be multiple things wrong. Pick the most important one and then space it out if you really have to keep coming back with more. Perhaps, though, in addressing that one thing, it will lead to the remedy of the others, though. And I've watched that happen. Enough from me. Let's get back to the scripture. Paul ends the letter by praying that God would give them peace always in every way. Let me read verse 16 through 18 again. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand, which is an authenticating mark in every letter. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Why would Paul end by praying for God to give them his peace and his grace? Here's why. Because the whole goal of warning people is peace. The whole goal is not to create disruption. It's actually to create more unity and peace. Peace with God, peace with each other, peace within the church family. Paul also ends this way because apart from God's peace and apart from God's grace, In all of our conversations, our best efforts to warn other people are pointless and futile. So he ends by saying, the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. And he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So as you go and as you warn people or are warned by others, Have God's grace, unlimitless grace, and God's power and strength 
through the Holy Spirit give you what you need to be a conduit of his grace in warning people. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this scripture, and I know that it's hard to stomach. Like, it's not a fun message for me to give, nor for us to hear, but we do know that we desperately need the principles in here for our relationships in life. So I pray that we would apply them and that as we apply them, you would give us what we need for each situation, for each conversation. And so I pray for us, I pray for us this morning what Paul prayed for them. May the Lord of peace himself give us peace always, in every way. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.